call to order the City Council meeting of February 5th, 2004. Roll call, please. 2024. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going backwards. <laughs> Mayor DePew. Councilwoman Gillis. Here. Councilwoman Bennington. Here. Councilwoman Dalbo. Here. Councilman Powers. Here. City Attorney Wolf. Here. City Manager Irby. Here. City Clerk Zlotnick present. Can we can we all rise and say uh, pledge allegiance? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now, if you'll just stay for a silent prayer. Um, the next thing is approval of the minutes since we don't have any, but we have a guest. Every council meeting we're bringing an animal from the shelter to show you what goes on at the shelter. And this is baby, baby girl. This is baby girl and she's been at the shelter and she's up for adoption. So if anybody's interested or knows anybody, how long has she been there, today? And Gigi cannot adopt one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's cats, not dog. <laughs> but she's, she's uh, I don't know if Lexi would get along with her. Yeah, I don't kidding. know. No, 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 but she is a sweetheart. Thank you, Renee. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> and I must comment that the shelter really works with these animals that come in, uh, and they really work them, with them before they let them go out. They, they've got them trained as much as you can, and, and we take them for walks once a month. We have a group walk. So uh, they're really working with these animals. Maybe next week, we, next time we can bring a cat. No cat. <laughs> okay. Charlotte's been trying to get me to adopt one for months, so maybe we shouldn't. Okay. There is a pair that I want him to adopt that need to go together. Okay, there's a, next is presentations, proclamations, plaques, certificates, and donations. Um, G2 slash G11 capital improvement projects status update. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Good evening. Hello. Um, David King with uh, Mead and Hunt, and with me tonight I got Matha Chin. He's uh, he's a partner in crime on the on the project. He and I are leading a uh, uh, multi consultant team on this project, and uh, here to give you an update of where we stand with the project. So, got a short presentation, and we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, a little bit about what I'll cover, uh, a little bit about the background and status of the, of the project, uh, what we've been able to do to date, um, what we're doing um, with alternatives to so looking at improvements and what could, could, be, could be done, and really what the next steps are from there. I've um, been told to try to target around 10, 15 minutes, so I'll try to keep it uh, brief. Um, I may talk fast, and I apologize. I'll back up anytime you want me to. Stop me if you need to. Um, I'm sure there's, we have time for um, questions and answers too, please. 
So a little bit of background about the project. So if you're not aware, I'm sure you are, um, the city received a $14.7 million grant um, through the CDBG uh, mitigation grant program. Through the, at the time, they're the DEO. Um, now they're the uh, Department of Commerce. Um, the grant was applied for due to um, impacts of Hurricane Irma. So this goes back to 2017. Obviously, government moves at a certain pace, so we're, we're at that pace, if you will, with this grant due to that storm. Um, the grant is focused primarily only on the G2, G11 canal basin. <clears throat> and if you're not familiar with that, it's about 350 acres. It goes from 10th Street, um, which is the 10th Street's canal, which is the Gabordi Canal, which it discharges to. And it goes about two miles to the south, um, all the way to about West Marion. And it's, it's kind of a channel, if you will, because it's bound by the railroad on the high side to the west and US-1 to the east. So it's this long, skinny channel, very flat, and it has to travel. The water has to travel from that south end from Marion all the way out to 10th um, Street Canal to, to eventually get it out, you know, get out to the river. So that's a, a very long um, route for that water to flow. The grant included project implementation, um, engineering services, and construction. So it takes it through, and we're, there's going to be improvements built with this grant. Uh, right now, we have um, initiated the project implementation. There's various things moving, including the city staff, and the staff, and we also, staff also has a um, a grant consultant that's working behind the scenes. And of course, we're here to talk about the engineering services. And what we've really done up to the date, which I'll get into in a little bit more detail and where we're at right now is that alternatives evaluations. We're really trying to decide how we can spend this money to get the most bang for the buck, get the most benefit, and, and have the, the least number of impacted properties after these improvements are constructed. So a little bit more about the work to date. Uh, site reconnaissance, we really wanted to get out there and see what's, um, what the, the lay of the land was. Um, one, of our teaming one of our team partners actually modeled this back as a Gabordi Canal study years ago with the county, um, city of New Smyrna, and city of Edgewater. So we were taking that previous model and updating it for current conditions. There's things like 10th Street's been improved, a few developments, Hard Avenue improvements, which we were the engineer on, had been was being constructed at the time. So really wanted to, to update that model. Um, we also went out there to, um, to verify the existing conditions, excuse me. We also went out there and looked at the, um, the, the infrastructure and evaluated the, the condition of that. Really wanted to see how, how it was performing, were there some things, and there might be some recommendations from a maintenance standpoint too of what we, what we can do to make the, um, the system work better. And then and again, we updated that model and, and then got into our into our hydraulic modeling. And, and really, for stormwater design, that's really the basis. You really want to see how your system um, operates. You want to see how it reacts to certain storm events. Is it sensitive to certain type of storm events, a heavy rainfall or a high tide type event? Um, so we evaluated four different storm events. And, and those, were part, those were specifically targeted, um, especially Hurricane Irma, because this is what the grant was written around. But we looked at a couple. Uh, uh, some greater events than Irma because uh, Irma was a was a uh, was an event. Definitely had some staging in the river, of about 4.6 um, in elevation, so that's pretty high, and um, only had about five inches, a little less than five inches of rain. And every storm, depending on where you are, you're in Florida, it might be raining on this side of the road, not on that side of the road. So, um, so, but we have to plug in the in the model some some variables, if you will. So these are the variables that we. Um, that we inputted. So 
Hurricane Ian was, of course, was the big event. It was about a 54, 55-hour event, about 20 inches of rain, and the, and the river even peaked even higher during that event. And then in, kind of a standard in the industry is looking at 100-year events. Everybody thinks of the 100-year floodplain and stuff like that. So 100-year events and looking at one, a storm event that occurs across 24 hours, which is pretty quick, versus a 72-hour storm. So you want to see, again, sensitivity of the of the system of whether or not is it sensitive to a real deluge or a steady rainfall for a longer period of time. And then what we, lastly, what we do is we calibrate the model. So we look at these, especially these exact conditions, Hurricane Ian and, and Irma, and look at what was actually witnessed. Um, we hope for the best information, is this complete information from that, but it's always a little bit of spotty, you know, spotty, but we'll take all we can of that information because it really helps us to calibrate, calibrate our model. So without getting into a whole lot of detail, I know this is very small, I, um, but uh, I wanted to give you an order of magnitude. So what you see in the two colors are the, two or the first two storms, and this is the Ian and the 24-hour event, and the 100-year 24-hour event. So these are the, these, these are the larger events, um, and you can see just, again, the order of magnitude. What you see in the two different colors are the flooded areas. So that doesn't mean houses are flooded if it's within that colored area. It just means we have standing water. It could be a few inches could be a few feet. And obviously you can't read all the small text and, and the lay of the land is, is very, but is, is, it varies across from, from end to end. But to give you a frame of reference, kind of in the, in the lower section, midsection, and the upper section, or the, if you will, the north section, the middle, you know, middle section, the south section. Uh, I picked Highland Avenue, for example. So in a 100-year, 24-hour event in Ian, you could have upwards of two or three feet of water on that. Where the, where the G2 Canal crosses Highland Avenue. So that's the order of magnitude, if you will. At Park Avenue, again, you could see something a little less than that, but something in the same order of magnitude, so close, you know, two, close to three feet of, of elevation. And the next slide shows the southern half of the basin, if you will, and again, it goes to roughly to West Marion. I used Turgot Avenue as a frame of reference here. So in the 100-year event, 24-hour storm, you actually, the water just comes up to the roadway, but with Ian, you get about a half a foot over the roadway. So you have some amount of flooding throughout your entire basin, again, varying levels. Again, um, this map just kind of shows what would, where, if, if you could fly over at that instantaneous moment in time and, the, um, and see where the water was standing, if you will. So the next two slides are basically the next two storm events. And these were the lesser storm events. This was Irma and the 24-hour, 72-hour storm. Again, with a little bit uh, longer duration on the storm events. So again, we do get flooding throughout the basin. Um, at Highland, we see one to two feet uh, for those two storms. At Park, now we're starting to get something that just at the level of Park or maybe just a foot above. And the next slide, at Turgot, um, the water's just right up or, or below the roadway, if you will. So uh, definitely Irma and the 100-year, 72-hour storm are lesser events. The system can take those events a little bit better uh, just because they're lesser rainfall events. Um, but the um, Irma did have an um, elevated river um, at the, during that storm event, so that has an impact too. And it really, really um, fills your storage that you have in the system because that water backs into maybe even prior to a storm or during to a storm, and then not only does it deplete your storage within your system, all the low-lying areas get filled with water, but then the water can travel less efficiently throughout your system. 
So the next two slides, um, just um, I mentioned the calibration. So you see colored in yellow and a couple of the other colors you will see on the next slide is those are the, those are the properties that the fire department, city fire department actually witnessed and had structural flooding that were impacted severely, if you will. And what we, with that information, you can see in, in blue is the 100-year, 24-hour event. Um, so you can kind of see how those, those areas, you can kind of see around the periphery, in, inside the blue area or in the periphery of the blue area, you see those yellow-colored yellow um, um, properties. And that gives us, feels, makes us feel good that we, we're modeling correctly. Some of those properties that were actually impacted during um, storms were, were impacted in this, this level of a storm. And again, this is the south, the north portion, this is the south portion. And it, you, know, you can see properties are all, all the way up to Shangri-La that were impacted. And again, the model shows that. So we, we feel good that we have a, that we've refined the model to a point that we can really start manipulating now to look at improvements and see what kind of impact those improvements could give us. So along those lines, what alternatives that we're looking at, um, basically looking at five different types of alternatives, kind of the standard approach when you're trying to deal with stormwater issues. Um, um, in this case, the first one's backflow prevention. When, when the level in the river is high, we really want to protect that system and not have that water back up in the system, not, not to deplete the storage that could be available to for that, for that falling rain. Um, that, that backflow prevention could be at 10th Street, it could be at other locations, but that's what, that's what we're evaluating and, and modeling at this point in time. Another alternative we're looking at is source reduction, and this is when we're really trying to get some of the basin, the water's fallen on part of the basin directed elsewhere. And we, do, we believe we have some opportunities to do that, um, um, as long as the, accepting, the other accepting basins, adjacent basins, can accept that um, and, and not have impact to those basins. And we feel comfortable we're going to have at least one good chunk that we can take off out of this basin and, and, and remove it and send it in another direction. Uh, another thing is additional storage. This, is additional, this, this could be additional ponds. Um, the, the, the grant money that was set aside didn't have, did not have a lot, the original budget did not have a lot set aside for property acquisition. So we're trying to um, achieve as much storage that we can with city-owned properties, with uh, the, the, the property that was looking, that was targeted to be acquired, um, and just other available areas, if you will. Um, there might be an existing stormwater pond that uh, with a pump, we could draw that stormwater pond down and create available storage in advance of event or during event. Um, so that could, be, again, additional storage could be additional ponds, utilizing additional city lands, and or um, with pumps um, in combination thereof. And then, not lastly, but really the, the, the more, more the direct is the additional conveyance. So obviously there's, we, have, we have the G2, the G11 canal. The G11 canal does not extend the whole uh, length of the, of the basin. Talk, you know, we're looking at uh, lengthening that, connecting the two canals, um, doing some other con conveyance improvements. There are some bottlenecks within the system as we've modeled. Um, we want to fix those bottlenecks. We may want to um, definitely going to improve the uh, conveyance. And that's all on the gravity side, just letting the water flow like it would, uh, you know, with, with Mother Nature. Um, but we want to put some mechanical equipment out there, too, um, because there are certain times, especially when the river is high, that the, the pumping will just will, will be necessary. And we'll look to be pumping that, basically short-circuiting it to the river um, in some way, shape, or form. Um, is the best approach is instead of sending along that that two mile plus route, can we get it to the river more efficiently? 
Other ideas we have that we may need council's help at some point in time is considering the fine property. Um, the fine has the big disposal site, which is a big firmed up area that most of the year they're not utilizing. You know, could that be utilized for stormwater treatment and or you know, to, to put some of this water um, in there um, during a storm event, prior to a storm event to, uh, to lessen the impact to the area. And then last, and on all the four of those items, top four, if you will, are all part of the grant. We're looking at all the things that we can't afford with our 14 plus million dollars, um, and we're working with staff to, to do that. Um, but there, at the end of the day, like a lot of coastal Florida, there, there's not enough money in this grant, much less any grant, that it, to, to probably solve all the problems. So from there, we, are, we will definitely be looking at the structures. We'll be um, surveying the finished floor elevations of all the potentially impacted structures and looking at the structures that just, we just can't help with this grant. Um, and, and with those, we would come to the city and say, hey, might want to recommend elevating those structures, floodproofing the structures, and or, you know, if, is it, if it's not financially feasible to do either, would, it, would acquisition make, make sense? But again, those things are going to be recommended as part of our work, um, where it makes sense, but it's not part of the grant. So um, the, the actual um, elevating the structure, acquisition, floodproofing might not, will not be part of this overall effort. Um, we're looking at the location of these alternatives, either lower, middle, or upper, and depending on where we put them, they have different impacts. And obviously, you, you think they would, they would impact or improve the direct area that we're, we're putting this, the improvement in, but sometimes it also have some different impacts up and upstream and downstream. Um, but guaranteed, the recommended alternatives will be a combination of all four of those. And I say five because uh, we will definitely have some structures that we won't be able to, uh, to address. Um, that being said, I just wanted to give you an idea. So again, I gave you the order of magnitude, kind of what, what, what's the flooded area, if you will. So what you see in the, um, in the lighter color um, versus the darker color um, is what a reduction could be if we could achieve a foot of reduction in the flood elevations across the board. Uh, we love to get a foot across the board. In some places, we might get a little more. Some places, we might get a little less. Um, it's, it's a target. I wouldn't say it's the guaranteed target, but just, again, it gives the order of magnitude of kind of the, of the, of the areas, and you can flip to the south section, of what reduced flooding we could have if we could achieve something up to that level. Um, so next steps. Um, since we are pretty much complete with our modeling and, and we're honing in on exactly where those improvements make sense and what to what level those improvements could, could be constructed. We're really going to formalize those selected <laughs> alternatives working with city staff. We're going to be doing that through about April of this year. We're going to be looking at budget. We're going to be looking at, you know, what's feasible constructability-wise, co cost construction-wise, and, and then what kind of um, benefit it provides us and, and balance those two, the, all, all those, if you will, to come up with the selected alternatives. Um, at the same time we're doing that, especially the low-hanging fruit, the, the alternatives that make sense and we can move forward quicker, we're going to be developing final scopes, design scopes for those, those improvements. So we're going to be multi designing multiple improvements and then the next step, permitting multiple step, uh, um, improvements, you know, through the rest of the year, if you will. Um, at the same time, the one property that is being acquired um, is going to be acquired. They, they hope to target, have that done by, by summertime. And then sometime in the fall, I suspect, is where we're going to start bidding out some of these improvements. When we get them designed and permitted, we can move forward with them. Uh, we'll start bidding these things out. Because um, overall, the, um, and, and then from there, go in, into construction. That, 
and if all goes well as planned, uh, we got about 14 months of, of varied constructions on multiple projects. That puts us um, into April of 2026, which is just under the um, grant deadline, which uh, you had original grant was for 48 months without any extensions, which could be possible, but as of right now, we're planning, we're not planning for such. Um, we have to be complete by the end of June of 2026. So, how's that for about 10 minutes? So, um, um, hopefully I didn't go too fast. Um, I'll be happy to go back and answer any questions you have. Any questions? No, very thorough. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay. Citizen comments. At this time, this is the time for the public to come forward with any comments they may have. Citizens relating to an agenda matter may be made at any time the matter is before the council. Please state your name, address, and please limit your comments to three minutes or less. Anybody have any comments? Hi, Kat Grotzer. I now live at Riverview Apartments, but I lived at the 10th Street Apartments on 10th Street, which the whole first floor of the apartments got completely flooded. All the cars got ruined. And the beginning of the mess was when they started redoing the drainage for the 10th Street Road that they did. They still have yet to dredge out the creek. Okay. So I'm just... Let's, you know, those people, nobody's living in the first floor yet. So, all right. So you they need to get addressed. All right. Thank you very much. Anybody else? Hi, good evening. My name is Sue Bodoin, and um, I'm the president of a homeowners association at Shangri La Village. It's just behind Dustin's. Um, <clears throat> We have been struggling with a parking issue. I know a lot of homeowners associations do. Uh, we tried to solve it. We had uh, at our annual meeting of 2023, we had uh, the parking, the gentleman from police who attend to the parking issues come and give a presentation. It was very helpful, we thought. Uh, the information they provided was that parking on the street was permitted. Uh, and so we had been acting under that assumption since then. <clears throat> I called code enforcement on an unrelated matter to parking on the street, and while he was there, he noticed uh, that there were many cars parked on the street, and uh, I happened to bump into him, and I wanted to chat with him and introduce myself, and he was absolutely wonderful to deal with. I think his name is Hazelwood, Officer Hazelwood. Um, and he explained to me that parking on the street was actually not permitted within the city of Edgewater. And it was completely opposite from what the police had told us. And so I have a community of irate uh, residents and, you know, they had been acting under one assumption, and suddenly they have to change. Now, I, I believe that, you know, Officer Hazelwood is probably correct. I do believe he's correct. Um, 
and uh, it, it just caused a big problem for us. And I hope that there is some clarification of that to community members, and uh, we can rely on one direction as to how to park on the street and not conflicting information. So thank you. Ms. Vice Mayor, if I may real quick, could you please fill out a contact card, which is on the kiosk right when you walk in the door? Um, I'm sure that one of our specialists in that area would love to reach back out to you. Thank you. Anybody else? Hello, Steve Harkness, 114 East Connecticut Avenue. Um, recently, Wire 3 came through and laid down fiber for everybody in our area. Um, they've damaged a lot of the sidewalks. Where I walk my dog, down by the river, it's cracked and leaning. Um, I was wondering, is there any effort to either repair it or have them repair it? And if so, good question. Glenn, I, I believe they're responsible for repairing. They are re responsible for repairing or paying us to have it repaired. They paid a lot so far. What would be the procedure? Would you need to do that, or yeah, we do that. Okay, so I can give you the information on the exact location of the area that I'm concerned about. Yes. If you do the same thing as the mayor just said, we have a fill out little yeah. card and give it to one of us, and we'll make sure that it gets put, put the card in the box. Oh, put the card in the box. I'm sorry. I didn't realize you had a box. All right, excellent. Fill it out and put it in, and then we'll get it. Okay, thank you very thank much. Thank you very much. Anybody else? No one else has anything to say? Okay. Sure. All right. Any uh, approval or changes or modifications to the agenda? Bar none. All right. Council reports. <coughs> Mayor DePue. Just a couple of things. I'm currently heading to Washington, uh, D.C. to have a meeting with uh, Senator Scott on affordable housing and a few issues that we have in Edgewater uh, where there could potentially be grant opportunities. Um, the other thing that I just wanted to bring two things up, I'll get my, my report next month, but um, there is the first step shelter in Daytona Beach. And I have spoken to the city manager about uh, possibly joining forces with them uh, before. I wanted council to maybe keep this in mind for our next budget period. Um, you can go tour the facility. They do wonderful things. Um, they had a gala on Saturday, which Councilwoman Gillis and I attended. And I think it would be very beneficial to the city if we did join because we, we might not have a large number of homelessness, but they help deal with a variety of other issues, and I think it may be beneficial if council members would uh, check out the first step filter if you already don't know about it. Um, the, the third thing I have is I wanted to pick council's brain. Um, there's the Florida League of Mayors, and there's the Florida League of Cities. There is a national version of uh, it's called U.S. Mayors. They lobby on a federal level, and um, they keep the mayors informed of what's going on in different communities. And I have 
looked at this organization when I was first elected and the resources that they potentially offer. And I was speaking with Mayor Cleveland this weekend, and um, the city of New Smyrna Beach joined. Therefore, um, Mayor Cleveland is now a member. And he stated he's only been a member for a short time, but it's been very beneficial. Um, they have a lot of events in Washington, D.C. Uh, even the president once a year uh, meets with them and talks about different federal issues. Uh, Daytona Beach is a member, and um, I really don't think it's, it's that costly. Um, it goes by population, and I think for Edgewater to join, it would be um, a thousand or two thousand dollars annually. But I think that the information that we would pick up federally would be um, certainly worth it to join as a city. I just wanted to pick your guys' brain and um, see if I maybe it had approval going into the next budget year that we could add that for uh, current mayors and mayors to come. Thank you. Do you want direction on that? That's all I am. We don't need to take a motion. He's just bringing it to us. Right. Correct, Diesel? You're just bringing it to us to think about it for the next budget? Yes, uh -huh. I just want you guys to think about it, and uh, maybe you can research a little more into it. Um, I've already told the city clerk about it and the city manager, and it's called U.S. Mayors. Thank you, Mayor. Okay, I'm next. Oh, ooh, I'm jumping in. I can't even read tonight. I'm not used to doing this job, so. Mm -hmm. um, Councilwoman Gillis. All right. <coughs> so, I attended two Southeast Felicia Chamber ribbon cutting events at Atlantic Outdoor Lighting and Paco Submarine, and then I attended the ribbon cutting for New Smyrna Beach High School's traffic light. These traffic improvements were a small project that was championed by Linda Cuthbert, the former school board member, but they came to fruition because four different governments were working together, and I just think that was amazing. The school board, county, Edgewater, and New Smyrna. And how often do you see four governments work together to get something completed like that? I attended the State of the City event at the Brandon Center with Councilman Powers and Samantha Bergeron. I attended Sweet Southern Transfer's grand opening. It's a small business that just opened in Edgewater. I attended the Upward Trend Small Town Stars Gala, where the Upward Trend Foundation raised money for special needs students. I attended Yappy Hour at Elliott's Roadside Grill, and I love these local businesses that open their doors to the animal shelter events. I was presented a certificate at one of January's county council meetings for completing their Citizens Academy. I attended PTA and SAC meetings at New Smyrna Beach Middle School. I attended our last workshop on feather flags and I'm happy we moved forward with several things. I will say again, I'm on the, I would like to say again on the record, I was not happy that chickens weren't brought to a point where the public could speak because I think the public deserved a voice and that was taken from them. I attended the Kudas Unhooked Mentor Mixer. I think they have a great program and so, uh, supporting kids, getting kids to graduate and I spoke with city manager Irby again about working with them to get some departments to do guest speakers at their events to tell kids about jobs that are open in the city that in future careers they could have. And actually the woman I wanted you to speak to is in the audience today, so I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. I attended our River to Sea TPO meeting where we talked about our TPO map boundaries and I was able to meet with FDOT about questions I had from residents. I attended the Volusia League of Cities dinner hosted by the city of Lake Helen. I attended Edgewater Eagles fundraiser for EPD's canine unit, and thank you for, to Checksfield and Gents for all of their cooking and putting that together. 
I attended our EdgeFest car show. It was a great event with many beautiful cars. Thank you, Samantha Bergeron. I, was, I loved the new location to where it was moved. I wanted to throw out the animal shelter building. Has looks amazing, and thank you to Jason and Joel and the team. I attended Legislative Action Week with Mayor DePue in Tallahassee. I met with many representatives and spoke of our city's needs, and I was also able to meet with many other mayors and council and discuss common issues and work towards solutions, and I'm thankful for all I learned up there. The legislators we spoke to spoke of how impressed they were by how many people showed up from Volusia County. I attended a county chair forum where all the members running for the county councilman chair seat were there. I attended a Southeast Volusia Habitat for Humanity Build Day with Councilwoman Dolbo and Mayor DePue, and I'm happy to see this house from start to finish. That house will be dedicated at the end of the month. I rode along with Officers Cox and Fager, and I learned a lot about our traffic unit and how we've been targeting speeders. And then also later, I rode around rode with Officer Castellano and I just wanted to thank our police department because they went above and beyond for this. There was a car that went through a building and they sat there with the business owner and were help, personally helping them build, uh, board back up the building to secure it for the night and that's not something that's on their job description and I wanted to thank them for that. I attended the NSB CAPS Alumni Hall of Fame and among the honorees were Edgewater resident Rob Wilkie and former personnel director Debbie Siegler and her husband Larry. I attended the Mayor's Gala of Daytona with Mayor DePue, and that benefited the First Step Homeless Shelter, and I learned so much about the facility, and I had, I've brought this up to Manager Irby as well. I would like to look into that in the future. Pretty much every city from Ormond down to New Smyrna already participates, and I don't think we have a large homeless problem that you see compared to other cities, but I've, in the past couple of weeks, I had somebody reach out to me who was getting evicted, and they were on the verge of living in their car, and I had sent them down that direction to one of those shelters, and I would like to see. There's, there's a lot of people out there that are one step from being homeless, and you don't realize it sometimes. It's not just the people you see on the street. It's the people that are, you know, a paycheck away from getting evicted. Um, and I rode along with EFD's B-Shift, and that was a calm day. Ryan Solstice helped me solve several citizens' problems. I met with the city manager about upcoming projects, and this week I will be attending a leadership class with the Florida League of Cities, and I'm looking forward to it. And Petapalooza is the 24th at Whistle Stop Park in Long Dock. Petapalooza. Um, I'm next. All I want to say is we went to the, I went to the, um, what's the one where they, Saturdays when we walk the oh, dog. Pet walk. walk, yes. And I've been active in the animal shelter, helping them clean cat boxes and stuff like that. <laughs> but that's about it. Uh, Councilwoman Debbie DeBone. Okay, I just wanted a few reminders. The Princess Ball is coming up on March 2nd at the YMCA from 6 to 9. All the proceeds that they gather from that goes to a scholarship fund that Edgewater gives to um, our local seniors whether it's trade school or high or college, it gets them set up for success. So it's a, it's a great event, too. We we all attend, and the, the kids love it. Uh, the pack walk is uh, February 9th at Whistle Stop from 9 to 10. If you haven't filled out the, the Edgewater Second Community Visioning Survey, please take a few minutes to get that done. Um, it's due by March 1st. You can mail back to the city. Uh, you can respond online or drop it off at City Hall. This is our second chance for everyone to have a voice in this, so it's so important that you make the effort to do it. Um, I'm anxious to see how it comes out. Um, that's all I have. Thank you. Okay, Councilman. Uh, 
dollars? Yes, ma'am. So um, I attended the Southeast Volusia Chamber, um, State of the Cities. So Mayor DePew spoke there. Um, so I appreciate his work and what he did in updating us on certain projects there. The Volusia League of Cities had their dinner in Lake Helen. I attended with Mayor DePew and Councilwoman Gillis. Um, really appreciate being able to collaborate with other cities facing similar challenges in, in Volusia County. And I do want to also echo the <clears throat> the Princess Ball. Uh, the community looks forward to that. Staff does a great job with it. Uh, and the money it raises for the scholarships for Edgewater uh, residents is, is a big deal. So I appreciate staff's work in that. That's all. Thank you. Okay. Senate agenda. <clears throat> I was, oh, did you want to say something? Okay. All matters listed on the consent agenda are considered to be routine by the city council and will be acted upon one motion by one motion. Madam Vice Mayor, I make a motion to approve the consent agenda as published. A second. Roll call. Mayor DePew? Yes. Councilwoman Gillis? Yes. Vice Mayor Bennington? Yes. Councilwoman Dalbo? Yes. Councilman Powers? Yes. Okay. Public hearings. First reading ordinance number 2024 0-01. Request to annex four plus or minus acres of land from the unincorporated Volusia County to City of Edgewater for the subject property located at 108 Azalea Road. Staff report. Um, oh, that's right. You've got to read ordinance. <laughs> ordinance number 2024-0-01, an ordinance annexing 0.4 plus or minus acres of certain real property located at 108 Azalea Road, parcel ID number 84130500140, Volusia County to the City of Edgewater, Florida, subject to the jurisdiction obligations, benefits, and privileges of the, of the municipality, amending the description of the City of Edgewater corporate limits, providing for filing with the clerk of the circuit court, Volusia County, the Volusia County property appraiser, and the Department of State, providing for conflicting provisions, severability, and applicability, providing for an effective date recording and adoption. Thank you, Ryan Solstice, Development Services Director. Staff is recommending approval of Ordinance 2024-001. This will add tax revenue to the City of Edgewater, and the proposed development is consistent with the surrounding properties. Uh, the subject, this subject annexation is within our interlocal service boundary agreement, uh, and there's been several annexations in the past. We are currently supplying municipal water services to this area. Okay. Um, Open to the public. Does anyone have a comment or a question about it? Or a council comment? No, ma'am. Yeah, Brian, just to be clear, too, this is obviously one single family home, just Correct. for the record. Yes, thank Correct. you. Okay. Council comments. Anybody else have any? Okay, close the public hearing and we need a motion. Madam Vice Mayor, make a motion to approve Ordinance 2024 0 01. A second. Roll call. Mayor DePew. Mayor DePew. Yes. Councilwoman Gillis. Yes. Vice Mayor Bennington. Yes. Councilwoman Dalbo. Yes. Councilman Powers. Yes. Okay. Next item. First reading. Ordinance number twenty twenty four. 02, request for a small-scale comprehensive plan amendment from Volusia County Urban Medium Density to City of Edgewater Medium Density Residential for 
four plus or minus acres parcel to located at 108 Azalea Road. Read into the record, please. Ordinance number 2024-0-02, an ordinance of the City of Edgewater amending the comprehensive plan is amended by amending the official future land use map from Volusia County Urban Medium Intensity to City Medium Density Residential for 0.4 plus or minus acres of serviceable property located at 108 Azalea Road, parcel ID number 84130500140, Edgewater, Florida. Providing for public hearings, findings of consistency, providing for conflicting provisions, severability and applicability to provide an effective date. Ryan, you want to staff report? Yes, thank you. So the request before you is to go from Volusia County Urban Medium Intensity, City of Edgewater, Medium Density Residential. And within the county, the urban medium density is four dwelling units to eight dwelling units per acre. Here at the City of Edgewater, our medium density residential is eight dwelling units per acre. The intent here by the applicant is to develop a single-family home on the lot. Open public hearing. Anybody have anything they want to say about this? Citizen comments. No. Council comments. Close the public hearing, and I need a motion. Make a motion to approve ordinance number 2024-0-02. Second. Roll call. Mayor DePew? Yes. Councilwoman Gillis? Yes. Count Vice Mayor Bennington? Yes. Councilwoman Dalbo? Yes. Councilman Powers? Yes. Okay. First reading ordinance number 2024-0003, request for a rezoning of Volusia County R4. City of Edgewater R3 for, uh, for a plus or minus 4.4 acres parcel located at 108 Azalea Road. Read into the record. Ordinance number 2024-0-03, an ordinance granting a change in zoning classification from County R4W, urban single-family residential, to City R3, single-family residential, for 0.4 plus or minus acres of certain real property located at 108 Azalea Road, parcel ID number 84130500140, Edgewater, Florida, amending the official zoning map of the City of Edgewater, providing for conflicting provisions, severability and applicability, providing, providing an effective date recording and adoption. Staff report. Thank you. So the R4, uh, Volusia County's R4 zoning designation requires a minimum lot size of 7,500 square feet with a minimum livable floor area of 850 square feet. The lot in question is 100 feet wide by 175 feet in depth. The city's R3 zoning district requires a minimum of 8,625 square feet and a minimum livable floor area of 1,000 square feet. It meets our zoning district, and it's basically a like-to-like. -like. Actually, we're a little bit more restrictive than even what the county had, um, bringing them into the city of Edgewater here. Staff is recommending approval for the rezoning. Thank you. Can I open the public hearing? Uh, citizens' comments? Council comments? I'll close the public hearing. I need a motion. Make a motion to approve Ordinance 2024-0-03. Second. Roll call. Mayor DePew? Yes. Councilwoman Gillis? Yes. Vice Mayor Bennington? Yes. Councilwoman Dalbo? Yes. Councilman Powers? Yes. Okay. First reading, ordinance number 2024-007, request for annexation of 115 plus or minus acres located east of Alco Road. 
and south of Edgewater Preserve, phase three, four, and five. Read it into the record, please. Ordinance number 2024-0-07, in ordinance annexing 115 plus or minus acres of certain real property located east of Volco Road and south of Edgewater Preserve, phase three, four, and five, parcel ID numbers. Thank you. So the proposed parcels are not located within the interlocal service boundary agreement between the city of Edgewater and Volusia County. The ISBA, the acronym there, is an agreement between a county and a city which allows for annexation of lands by a city as logical extension of said city in a manner that promotes sound planning practices such as the availability of municipal services. In this case, because it is not within our ISBA, it does have to meet section 171 of Florida statutes that the proposed annexation meets the following criteria that is contiguous to city limits, that is reasonably compact, and it does not create enclaves. Staff have reviewed the application and believe that it does meet those requirements of Section 171 of Florida statutes. And staff is recommending approval for the annexation. Open the public hearing. Anyone like to comment? Audience? Need to hear from the applicant. Oh, oh excuse me. You're right. thought I had this down pat. Hear from the applicant. I'm sorry, people. Good evening, Joey Posey, 420 South Nova, attorney for the landowners. And uh, I, just for maybe uh, to expedite and to consolidate the discussions, uh, you know, I'm happy to tackle all of this as one presentation because it's three different items, but um, I'm indifferent in however uh, council deems or would like to do it or if there any, is any direction on that. Let's have it all at once. All at once. Okay. All right. Well, we'll just jump into the presentation then. So, uh, first slide. So, uh, as Brian had mentioned, that yes, this pro uh, property is in the county. Uh, the surrounding zoning. If you if you look, you could see um, there's uh, 
you know, City R2, there's RPUD to the north, which was the Edgewater Preserve PUD that was adopted uh, several years ago, and then you have some industrial uh, related zonings that are to the east, and that's what the bounds of the property uh, with the adjoining zonings are. So when you're looking in terms of consistency, you're trying to ask, well, what am I around in some respects? And obviously there's, uh, a, it is very rural to the, to the south and to the west, and you know, as we move through the project, you'll, you'll see that we're actually, we're trying to keep that in mind with how we design this too. Um, uh, future land use, uh, it's again surrounded by city low intensity residential and industrial to the east, and uh, we're looking for something that's identical in, in consistency. It's nothing that we're deviating from. It's below, the, we would be proposing the low intensity, you know, the lowest in terms of what we're talking about for residential densities, and uh, we don't even get near the maximum to that when you're talking in terms of net acreage and the actual intensity, or the actual density. So, uh, you know, from our perspective, it's very consistent. So, the next slide. Uh, the project's made up of about 115 acres. Uh, there's 46.2 uh, acres of wetlands on site, which is actually almost 100% preserved. You know, the only real impacts we're talking about is the east-west road that uh, to get to the wetland to the uplands, uh, which is uh, not necessarily our preferred route. We would prefer to go to the north once the the northerly uh, development comes online, but um, that that is how it's designed currently. And uh, again, we're trying to be as accommodated accommodating as we can. We're not trying to make additional points of access on Volco and try to figure out how do we capture and to uh, create that little enclave of development around that environmentally you know preserved area. Uh, and I think something that we're very proud of is that we're actually only proposing now only 21 acres of, uh, of actual impervious, which is 19%. Uh, I, I don't know of any other project that can say that. Uh, it's very low, and um, I think it does uh, a lot of good in showing how that you can do that transition into those rural areas. Uh, next slide. Uh, and then the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that once upon a time this was Platted. This was slated for development. Um, you know, obviously this was probably a hundred years ago, but uh, you know, somebody had the bright idea to just chop this up into uh, little little rectangles. Um, you know, that's not something anybody would want to go forward with today. And it has, you know, I think limitations to it. You see no stormwater. You see no landscaping. And you see no buffers. Uh, but you know, that's how it was done once upon a time, and uh, that's how we don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, our goal was to get rid of all that, those plats, get rid of those right-of-ways, and, you know, place a lot of that land into preservation. And uh, as we'll see later, we're even willing to put that preservation land into conservation uh, to the benefit of the city uh, to ensure that it stays that way uh, and it doesn't change as the times change. So uh, that's something we're very proud of. Next one. Uh, as I mentioned, 46 acres of wetlands, uh, and that makes up about 41% of the property. Um, the other, I think, notable number that with this project that we're also very proud of is the 80% open space. It's a huge percentage of open space. Uh, it, you know, a lot of that obviously is wetlands for full transparency, but uh, it's not something that we're you know trying to pack this property with lots and you know make it as impervious as possible. That you know it's supposed to be low intensity. It's supposed to be a transition. It's the you know to ensure for the future that you have these environmentally preserved areas and you also have that natural transition into the more rural areas of the county. Uh, next slide. Uh, so with that, it's in terms of net density, we're talking about uh, a 1.58 uh, units per acre. That's unbelievably low when you look at other developments that have come online in the city. 
and, and in this case, it creates a very large visual buffer and separation because a lot of the development is several hundred feet from the roadway corridors, so it's not even visible. Um, it's, and it's set back, again, 700 feet from Wolco, and that, that natural density transition that I'm talking about makes it uh, almost an assurance that you're not going to see development continue to creep in a direction where folks don't want to see it and that it doesn't make it for a natural progression of where density should be, where one would think closer to the interstate or something like that. Um, next one. Um, as I mentioned previously, those are where you can tell where we'd like to connect to on the northerly side once those roads get dedicated for Edgewater Preserve. Uh, we have we've left those stub outs there to make sure that's as seamless as possible. Uh, another alternative that we'd love to do that I'm not sure it's 100% going to happen, but we're willing to try, is we're willing to connect to the to the east going towards over the FEC Railway. Uh, they don't like to play nice, but uh, we'll leave the we'll leave the stub out there to see if we can get going in that direction too to create some interconnectivity and try to relieve some of what I think folks are seeing as some concerns and congestion on Volco. Uh, and the other, I think, nuance to this property is that it's very difficult to develop. There's a lot of nuances and strange you know, layouts and right-of-ways and carryovers from once upon a time that you, know, you have an opportunity for one landowner to take something, do it the right way, and you know, put it into place for the future rather than say, oh, I'm done with this, move on, and then you don't know who you get after that. Um, next one, uh, stormwater. Um, I know this is very important for folks in the area, and this is also important for us. Uh, we're no problem meeting the city's heightened standards uh, in terms of you know, all treatments, all all stormwater system regulation. Uh, it's written into our agreement, which is something that's very, as you've seen in some other PDs, that it's starting to get adopted into. A lot of these older PDs do not have that. Um, we're stipulating to that requirement, and. I know I say this every project, but we are required to retain more water in post-development condition. That is, that is a requirement. St. John's holds us to that. Um, you know, again, if the city standards are heightened, well, that means there's even more accountability on that end. So, um, you know, in terms of helping, uh, this they can't. This this has to help the situation for the folks in the area. Next one. Uh, there was also a requirement for encouraging low impact standards. We're happy to stipulate to that too. Uh, again. The environmental sensitivity here is very important, uh, and we want to make sure that those standards are something that staff can hold us accountable when we come through preliminary plats and when you see final plat. Uh, and it, this offers a, you know, a variety of housing too. This isn't just your simple, you know, single-family subdivision of you know, same type lots or just a townhome development. It's a little mixture of everything, but it also doesn't have, I think, some of the rub with folks is those not 40-foot lots, those 50-foot lots. We're not trying to do that. We're trying to make it affordable, but on the other hand, we also want to keep a sense of quality for folks, too. Um, next one. Uh, we had a very, um, I wouldn't say lively, but uh, we had a very good discussion <laughs> uh, in December with the neighbors, and, uh, we've, and we've had ongoing discussions, too, that a lot of things that have changed from the planning board that I just want to point out that uh, are not apparent, and, you know, unless you really dive into this is that uh, we removed the homes from the frontage uh, parcel. That was something very important to folks when it came to the visual buffer. And it also uh, would have taken a little, a little more development of that parcel to make that reality. So it made more sense from just the stormwater side of it for folks. 
from the visual side of it because you know you don't necessarily want to see that part of the development that we leave it that way. Uh, we added a preservation and stormwater area at the frontage too. Uh, there's also a requirement in the PD for a, um, if school, assuming school board signs off on this, that we have a pickup and drop off for folks in this area because I know that's a concern. Um, we're showing those connectivities to the north. Uh, we increased the buffer separation and the um, the actual building setbacks in the southeasterly corner of the property, and we removed the stub out. So that's, I think, the other assurance that we can give them that we're not trying to encourage folks to move further south. We're trying to create that demarcation line that they want to, you know, as that natural transition into the more rural areas of the county. Uh, next slide. Uh, so, and here's a better summary of where we ended up. Uh, the impervious coverage obviously went down two when we removed those lots. Uh, we dropped it about 10 lots from the plan that went forward at planning board. Uh, we incorporated additional stormwater in that frontage that wasn't there. There's additional natural preservation on that frontage area too. Um, and a lot of the same things. And uh, next one. Uh, and the additional languages that were added and also reflect that too. There was a fencing requirement that we were happy to put at the Southerly uh, project boundary too. Um, and the one thing that didn't make it in that we're happy to do as further discussion with the neighbors is that uh, we'd like to actually encourage those littoral zones of plantings in those ponds to try to encourage more vegetation around your stormwater ponds. So in those ponds that don't have the pretreatment, we would like to incorporate those littoral plantings because, you know, creating more vegetation so you get that absorption and you, you know, just a better vegetated area. That makes sense from our perspective and it just isn't uh, St. Augustine grass. Um, the other thing that uh, didn't get in here too is that along the northeasterly boundary, there's a 40-foot buffer for natural preservation. We'd like to increase that to 80. Uh, that's, again, these, these are ongoing discussions and showing how we're trying to be good neighbors. Uh, next one. So the other thing too is uh, we're trying to be transparent about what type of homes we're trying to put out here too. Uh, these are samples that uh, obviously it's going to be builder dependent and we do not have a builder picked <laughs> for all the neighbors that are curious. Um, but these are, you know, these are a standard 65, 55. Those are what you would see there. Those are the, the bottom under there is the typical townhome with the two-car garage or even the, in the two-car driveway that, you know, they're very nice. They're very, uh, very nice homes. Uh, next one. And it also has, you know, we still do have enough density here to allow for some of those amenities that folks get accustomed to when you live in these type of communities. There will be a centralized pool, cabana, picnic, grill area, and playground in the center of the development, which will be, it's open. Um, there's several pocket parks that we've inter that we dispersed around the property. Uh, and you know, it's a very nice development. It's, it's in the thing that uh, I don't think that folks realize too, you know, when you get a notice in the mail, is that this this is actually two years. This took two years to get to this point, um, and a lot of going back and forth with staff, and you know, they've been very helpful in trying to tweak plans, neighbor input, very helpful in trying to make sure that this is, you know, compatible with what's going on out there, and um, you know, just trying to listen. That's really what we're what we're trying to do on this project. So the next one. Uh, so with that, you know, we, we have a planning board recommendation, we have a staff recommendation. Uh, it's consistent with the zoning and the, the future land use pattern out there of low density. Uh, it even, I would even go as far as to say it encourages a 
more rural transition from this point forward, given that those wetlands are going to be preserved and we've made that representation and included that language in the PD agreement of putting those in conservation easements. And it exceeds uh, all the requirements of the land development code for how you're supposed to do it right. So with that, I'm available for questions and question. yes. A stupid one, I'm sure. <laughs> but what is this little boat thing that looks in the middle there as you're driving in? That's so the uh, our, the one we're looking at right now. Yeah. Right in the center of the dark yeah, green. Right. That's the amenity. That's the amenities area. Okay. So you know, for the folks in the community that want to utilize it, uh, again, have playground, pocket park. Okay. Um, you're trying to centralize it. That's what I thought it was, but it just sort of. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little strange. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else have any questions? Um, I do have comments about the PUD, but we're at the annexation right now, so I'll wait until we're at the PUD. Yeah. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> Citizens' comments. Council comments. Oh, okay. Um, Melanie Rippey, 4353 Beacon Light Road. One, I want to ask, why, why are we building more subdivisions out there where we all live in the country? There are plenty of lots in town that need houses. I don't see a need for more traffic on Volco Road where I drive every single day. Um, I, I don't see a need for it. Uh, they talk a lot about mitigating wetlands and saving the wetlands. What about the animals? Okay, the houses are all going to go on high and dry lots. Where are the gopher tortoises going to go? What about the coyotes and the fox and the rabbits and all those things that are going to end up, guess where? In my yard, okay? Those of us that live out there in the country, we don't want to be in the city. We don't want city water. We don't want city sewer. We don't want playgrounds and swimming pools. We want the country. I want to be able to have my chickens and my pigs and my rooster. We don't like it. I understand that progress goes forward, but I don't think that that is a good spot. Volco Road is a terrible, terrible accident waiting to happen all the time. The railroad, uh, the school bus, that light um, that crossing US-1. I work at the post office. I see it all every day with the parks, which they call something out, with the parks out there. The water is out of control. They didn't mitigate the wetlands. There are people whose houses are now flooded. Their yards are flooded. We think it's a terrible idea. And I just want you all to know that we that live out there, we think it's a terrible idea. Um, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? <clears throat> Okay, nobody else? I need, I'll close the public hearing and I uh, need a motion. No motion? Can I make a motion to approve ordinance number 2024-0-07? Second. Uh, roll call. Mayor DePue? No. Councilwoman Gillis? Yes. Vice Mayor Bennington? Yes. Councilwoman Dalbo? Yes. Councilman Powers? Yes. Close the public hearing. Okay. Um, next. Ordinance number 202409 20, requested for. Oh, wait. Let me. Let me go ahead and see. 
eight, excuse me, 24008. Request for large scale comprehensive plan amendment for 115 plus and minus acres on east of Velcro from Volusia County Rural and Environmental Service Quarter to City of Edgewater to low density residential with conservative overlay. Ordinance number 2024-0-08. In ordinance of the City of Edgewater, amending the comprehensive plan is amended by amending the official future land use map from Rural and Environmental Services Quarter to low density residential with conservation overlay for 115 plus or minus <coughs> acres of certain real property located east of Volco Road and south of Edgewater Preserve phases 3, 4, and 5. Parcel ID numbers Zero zero one zero eight four one three zero one zero three zero one seven zero eight four one three zero one zero three zero one five zero eight four one three zero one zero three zero one one zero eight four one three zero one zero three zero one one zero zero eight four one three zero one zero three zero zero nine zero eight four one three zero one zero three zero zero seven zero eight four one three zero one zero three zero zero six zero eight four one three zero one zero three zero zero four zero eight four one three zero one zero three zero zero one zero eight four one three zero one Zero four zero one five zero eight four one three zero one zero four zero zero five zero eight four one three zero one zero four zero zero one zero eight four one three zero one zero five zero zero one zero eight four one three zero one zero six zero zero one zero eight four one three zero one zero six zero one six zero eight four one three zero one zero seven zero zero one zero eight four one three zero one zero eight zero zero one zero eight four one four zero 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 six zero eight four one four zero one Zero nine zero zero one zero and eight four one four zero two zero one zero zero one zero. Edgewater, Florida, providing for public hearings, findings of consistency, providing for conflicting provisions, severability and applicability, and providing an effective date. Staff report. Thank you. So the request before you is to go from it's a large scale comprehensive plan amendment from Volusia County Rural and Environmental Services Corridor <coughs> to low density residential with a conservation overlay. Staff did in the staff report. Uh, respond to all the policies within our comprehensive plan in accordance with chapter 163 of Florida statutes staff did an urban sprawl analysis and I'll be happy to go over any details if uh, council has any questions about that. Any questions for this guy? Thank you. I'll open a public hearing. We don't need the applicant. We already had that. Citizen comment. Council um, yeah, just a couple of things I wanted to point out. The, the current standard is a 25-year flood event. <clears throat> Obviously, they've made the, the stride to develop as a 100-year flood event. Uh, that's not something they're required to do. That's something they're doing by choice right now. Um, I just, what's crazy about this is this property is already platted. So with low-density residential, if they mitigated for all the wetlands, that allows for four units per acre at 115 acres. That's 460 units. They are proposing only 176 units. So what is already platted and what could exist is far worse than what's being proposed. So it's really not a matter of whether or not it's going to happen because the entitlements are already there. So 
either this is going to happen in the county and it's, it's going to happen without our influence, or it can occur now with the updated stormwater requirements that the city of Edgewater imposes, um, along with all this other feedback that we have included into it. So 80% is in conservation between the wetlands and the open space. Only 19.1% is being used. So 21.29, 21 acres out of 115 acres. Um, it, again, it's really, again, not a matter of if, it's a matter of what. And I just like that point on the record. What could be there is far more dense, not planned, way worse product than what this is. So that's, we're not really deciding if, we're deciding what right now. Um, that's all I have. Thank you. Great point. Thank you for pointing that out. Anyone else? Any other council has any points? <laughs> I appreciate it. Gentlemen, that was, that was, yeah. Um, hearing none, I'll close the public hearing and I need a motion. Make a motion to approve ordinance 2024-0-08. Second. A roll call. Mayor DePue. No. Councilwoman Gillis? Yes. Vice Mayor Bennington? Yes. Councilwoman Dalbo? Yes. May Councilman Powers? Yes. Okay, now we're at nine, right? Eight after. Yes, uh, yes. Oh, we no. just did nine. Yes. Okay. Ordinance number 2024-0-09, requesting for rezoning of 115 plus or minus acres of land east of Velcro from Volusia County Agriculture and Resource Quarter, quarter to the City of Edgewater Residential Planned Unit Development. Ordinance number 2024-0-09 in ordinance granting a change in zoning classification from Volusia oh. County Agriculture and Resource Corridor to Residential Planned Unit Development, RPUD, for 115 plus or minus acres of certain real property located east of Volco Road and south of Edgewater Preserve, phases 3, 4, and 5. Many of the official zoning map of the city of Edgewater find for conflicting provisions, severability, and applicability, providing for an effective date reporting and evaluation. Okay, we don't need staff report. Open the public hearing. Citizen comments? Hi, my name is Marjorie Palmer. I live at 715 Volco Road, so I am in the white strip right there in the middle. Uh, we have been working. Uh, with Mr. Storch's firm, with Mr. Posey, uh, we were in attendance at the meeting when this came first before the Planning and Zoning Board. Um, and we do have concerns, and we do live in the country. I'm also a realtor, so I understand property rights. They own this property. They do have a right to do pretty much what they envision with the property. I will say, though, that this is county, and yes, that is platted. It was platted back in the 1920s, and it was platted to be a mobile home park. And it's now in the county. It's zoned A2 for the most part, except for what's resource corridor, which is wet. And it, they're leaving in conservation. But that would not be buildable. We That A2 zoning in the county requires five acres. I had to get a um, non-conforming lot letter and a variance in order to build on my property, which is a little over an acre. So it would, it would not be that many homes. But I do appreciate that they're very much trying to work with us. The stormwater... And I don't even want to say stormwater because now we get wet if it just sprinkles. What they did on the corner of Volco Road, which is the first development, which is now called the Parks at Edgewater, was hideous. That was a lot of wetlands. They bulldozed the whole thing. 
So, all, and then to make it worse, and I know y'all weren't part of this, at least the way I understand it, the county was involved in banking that road and elevating that road. Well, my property sits at the end of that new pavement, and all the water that used to nicely run off the side of the road now runs right into my driveway. So that's a concern I have, and I don't know where you guys, I don't know how you fit in with any development that they might do onto Volco Road to accommodate this new development, but it's not okay. I mean, my house is 2016, so it's not low, it's not flat, it, it's 12 inches above the roadway, but now the roadway is not where it was. So that in itself is a problem. The one little piece that you stick out there, which they purchased in order to have an outlet to Volca Road, that is 100% wetlands, like 100%. So anything that they put there is going to put water somewhere else. They did accommodate my request to move the houses off of there because that would have been obviously creating more of a problem. I do know that there has to be development. Yes, if it was my choice, I would say leave it the way it is. We do have lots of animals back there. We have lots of bunnies. We have lots of hawks that fly over. We have um, eagles back there. There's pigs. There's coyotes. There are all kinds of things back there. And I would prefer they stay there. But it can't just be my choice. So I, I appreciate that they're willing to work with us. I do want to say, what, and I know this is the RPUD part, so this is agreeing to what they have planned for that property. It needs to stay that. I'm in the county, so I really have no voice with you people. And I, and I choose to stay in the county, and I don't want to be forced to be annexed. I don't want to be forced to have city water. I don't want to be forced for that. So that, Thank that's you. my problem. Thank you. Anyone else? Volco Road. Uh, I do appreciate what Attorney Posey has, has done in, in working with us, and I do would, would, would like to get one clarification. You identified the 80-foot buff, buffer being on the northeast side. It should be on the northwest, northwest side. And if y'all can't do anything about that water, maybe you can pay for a dock for my backyard. <laughs> Thank you. Anyone else? Did you want to say something? Uh, Joey Posey, 420 South Nova again. Uh, that is correct. I did misspeak. It was supposed to be the, uh, the northwesterly portion, not the northeasterly. Um, and the, um, the other point I wanted to make, too, that um, at the county level, you'd have to go through a vesting determination on that subdivision. Uh, there are portions of it that are buildable, but it, to be transparent with Margie, she is probably correct. There is a large portion of it that isn't because you'd have to be county code, but that's a separate uh, review process, and it's not necessarily determinative based on density or intensity. So, um, you know, I can't tell you what the maximum could be, but I can tell you that it isn't the floor. Um, and that's the other thing I wanted to bring up with this PD also in that, you know, Part of this is a conceptual exercise by the engineers and trying to do the best they can to lay it out that when you talk about a PD, it, it, it's a ceiling. You, know, you don't go above it. You don't go above the densities that you've outlined. You don't go above the additional criteria you put into it. So you will very likely see, since this is the first stage in the process, that as this moves through preliminary plat, as this moves through final plat at some point, that there'll be less lots. There'll be more preservation. There'll be more open space. It, it happens with every development uh, because you, you can't contemplate everything. So, um, you know, I, I know that isn't the perfect answer. And, uh, you know, again, I, I, do, I do sympathize that, you know, this is a little bit of a change, but 
it can be a good change for the future because it puts in place that transition that says that this is the line. This is, you know, you have this large preservation area, you have all of this conservation and that as time moves on and people, new people come in and have different expectations and policies that there isn't a revisiting of this question. So, um, you know, with that, I'm happy to answer any individual questions about the project and uh, I do appreciate all of the neighbors because, you know, this is very important to them and we want to be as transparent as possible too for them uh, just because I know what's, um, you know, some of the, what they perceived, what they, what's going on to the north up there and also just in general because this, you know, I'm sure this doesn't happen for everybody all the time and, you know, I, I do this for a living, so. <laughs> Thank you. Does anybody else have any questions? Council? I do have a question. I'm not sure if it's the right time to bring it up. Uh, as far as traffic concerns, on Volco, um, if and when this, this comes to fruition uh, with the parks of Edgewater, um, is Volco set up, the road set up for all the tra extra traffic that we have? And I can probably refer, uh, get the engineer. Um, there's additional improvements that have to be done as part of the parks in Edgewater that I'm aware of. And if in a perfect world, if this is if it goes the way I hope it does, is that since the other phases of the parks at Edgewater, I'm sure, are under uh, design, that this will come in timing to allow for those northerly connections to the existing connection points that they've already contemplated. So you're not going to have this westerly connection road that is going to create another point for Volco. We're also not anticipating any additional improvements for Volco at this time either, other than probably a left turn in. Um, but I, I, the heightened elevation issue I know was a big to-do when it came, when the parks at Edgewater, I keep wanting to say Edgewater Preserve, but now it's the parks at Edgewater, that um, that's um, something that's been a hot topic. Uh, the other things that I know are moving through are the 35th potential trying to fix that dangerous um, uh, connection there with Volco. Um, that's something that we're trying to assist uh, a staff here to see if we can fix, and I know at some point it's either this project or the additional phase of the parks of, uh, at Edgewater that there will be a, a demand for a light that has to be put in at Volco uh, and, um, and Ridgewood. So that's, I know, something that's important because it's a little dangerous trying to get out of there too. Um, so there's a lot of pluses. Uh, of course, it's not a perfect world too because, you again, it's a function of cars getting on the road also, but uh, there's a lot of mitigating factors that are going into this also depending on the timing of the additional Edgewater, uh, parks at Edgewater phasing, plus also the timing of the project since that'll create the demand for a light too. <clears throat> so just to confirm, the parks is triggering those improvements? Correct. Okay. And the goal would be to not have a connection to Volco from Correct. this Washington development? Okay. Yeah, and it's a function of cost. That's a long road. That from a developer's perspective that it makes much more, it's much more feasible to develop it and to, you know, capture that cost and just put it in preservation rather than run the road west through, you know, several hundred feet versus going through north-south since you've already got those connection points already contemplated. Okay. And they're, sensor, and they're public roads too, so that, that makes sense uh, on the northerly side. Thank you. I did have a question that you're oh. probably going to have to answer. Um, I had a couple of the residents bring up to me that they had spoken <coughs> to you. Yes. And that the can, one of the concerns was that they were, because I didn't see this in the writing, and I know mm -hmm. that it was brought up, they would like to see this in writing. Um, some of the people that were hired that had done work on the parks at Edgewater, that those would not be utilized, the ones that were causing some problems over that way. Well, Is that something that you could still promise them? I, I Well, and I have to be delicate about this question, because uh, 
in terms of promise, um, is whether it's zoning related or not, I can't necessarily stipulate to that. But what I can say is that the landowner is listening and the landowner knows their concerns and knows who the players are, I guess, that they're causing concerns with. And that our representations on the record are that we want to encourage uh, to avoid that situation again. Um, again, it, it's a very delicate dance because I, I don't necessarily want to point fingers and lay blame in something as part of a zoning hearing that I don't have the full facts for, but we are aware of the situation and we are trying to be fully transparent and communicate on how to not let that happen again. So I, I'm trying to be delicate because of just the situation that around the facts and also that we're at the zoning stage of this development too. That's somebody from the back. Uh, Danny Shields, twelve twenty-five Volco. Um, when I first started, like with all this, we were throwing tantrums, upset, whatever. Um, obviously, I finally come to an agreement with the way it's being done. I like it. Eventually, one day, you know, somebody could just bulldoze it all, whatever. So it looks great. But I will say, like the one thing with me moving forward and being okay with everything. If we don't get together, like, the problems that were with the building, whoever it was, if there's not a promise in writing for me, I'm out, and then I will make a huge deal over this project and try my best to shut it down. So the people that did the building, created the problems for all of us out there, there's got to be a promise that they are not allowed. There's so many other developers that can earn the money, the trust, whatever. Trust has been broken once. I'm not going to give a second chance because there was no slap on the wrist, probably no fines. I, I don't know. But for me, um, that's a big, big deal. So I want that, yeah. Like, I'm, like, shaking right now. I'm pretty pissed. <laughs> Excuse my French. So I just want to make sure. Um, Joseph, can you speak to to the what went on? Cause it was, this, was this the... I know there was an issue with the preliminary plot that I wasn't happy about. I don't know if that's what this is referring to, or well, I think that the uh, the fo well, from my understanding, the folks on uh, Volco are don't feel like they were being the the developer of the Edgewater Parks at Edgewater was being very receptive to anything that they had concerns with, including how the stormwater was handled in that situation. Were they designed at the twenty five year plan? Correct. Okay, so they were designed at the twenty five year plan, where this is designed at the hundred year plan. Correct. But again, I, I have to be careful because I can't necessarily, as a legal representative for the landowner, and also I can't stipulate to this on a PUD document, it's a zoning-related item, that you know our perspective is that, yes, we, we don't want to engage with developers to the north to, uh, you know, that, that is our goal. We do not want that. Uh, can I put that in writing necessarily in the PD document? I can't, but I can tell you that the landowner is listening right now. He's also paying attention to how that was handled and also how all of the development issues that transpired were a result of that. So again, from our perspective, we're right there with the neighbors. We do not want that situation to repeat itself. And it, just speaking maybe plainly that I would imagine that that's not accomplished if it's the same developer that's engaging in the same conversations with those uh, with this project. That That's my two cents about it. I just can't legally put that into this PD document. That's the problem nor can I condition it as part of the zoning. It's, it's unrelated to zoning. Thank you. 
is there any other questions? Okay, I will. Where am I now? I close the public hearing and I need a motion. Make a motion to approve ordinance number 2024 0 09. Second. A roll call. Mayor DePue? No. Councilwoman Gillis? No. Vice Mayor Bennington? Yes. Councilwoman Dalbo? Yes. Councilman Powers? Yes. Okay. No board appointments at this time. Other business. SA 2313 request to waive the permit fee for, oh, that's the number of, okay. Permit fee for the Heart of Manatee 5K run at Indian River <coughs> Elementary School. Staff report. Yes, ma'am. On March 9th, there is to be a charity 5K run to raise funds for the Media Center at Indian River Elementary School. This is an annual event, and the organizer is asking for a waiver of the $100 permit fee as has been requested in the past. No city services are required. So the recommended action before you tonight is a motion to approve the waiving of the permit fee for the heart of the Manatee 5K run. Any questions? Discussion. For future stuff, are we able to put it to where we waive it for like charities and schools and whatnot? Because I know this, if this wasn't, some of these come up every year. Yeah. We usually have been doing it for every event. But I see what you're saying. Like if you wanted a policy in place for like Edgewater 501c3s or something of that nature, just no, to just throwing that out there. Because we usually, we usually do it for this and then we've done it for pirates and it'll yeah. come up yeah. the last two times. Um, how about we do it this way? Could we have the, um, Recreation board, since that's why those boards exist, to do the investigation and kind of create that policy and come back to us with something, whether it be, you know, sure. a discount for only, you know. That's what I thought. Yeah. When do they meet again? They just. To my understanding, sometimes they have an issue having a quorum. That's true too. On that board. Just throwing it out there to stream. I mean, I, I, wanted to, I, wanted I think that that's a wonderful idea. I just was saying that only concerned with that idea. Yeah, I think at this point I would like to give it to the recreation board to handle, and then I'd like to see what they come up with. Okay. Does anybody have a problem with that? For land development code change? No, for the right the policy. The, the special activity permits and the fees and the discussion about, or it's not the discussion, but the language about the charity for the special activities is in the land development code? Not in the fee schedule. Correct. I mean, the, the $100 is in the fee schedule, sure, but, but the criteria is in the land development code. Okay, we'll discuss it. The, Let's just talk about it at a workshop, yeah. Yeah, the development services department handles it. Okay. All right. So Shirley, I'm sorry, do you want to work, can we workshop that at, you know, one of those monthly workshops that we have? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so we still have this. Are we going to grant them the waiver? I make a uh, motion to. Uh, we have public comment. Oh, we have public comment. Anybody want to comment on it? <coughs> Go ahead, Debbie. I make a motion to waive the permit fee for <coughs> the heart of Manatee 5 K Run at Indian River Elementary School. Second. Roll call. Mayor DePue? Yes. Councilwoman Gillis? Yes. Vice Mayor Bennington? Yes. Councilwoman Dalbo? Yes. Councilman Powers? Yes. 
Okay, next is provide direction regarding settlement related to a motor vehicle accident that occurred on May 28, 2022. Yes, um, your insurance company is asking for direction on potentially settling a uh, claim um, uh, related to a uh, ambulance uh, accident that occurred back in May of 2022. This is in pre-suit, so this has been handled by the adjuster uh, to this date without my involvement. Um, as far as the facts, uh, on May 28, 2022, a Mark City ambulance operating with its lights and sirens uh, in emergency mode, transporting a patient, was traveling northbound on South Nova Road, approaching the intersection of Bellevue Avenue. Uh, the claimant was traveling westbound uh, in the southbound turn lane of Belle, uh, Bellevue Avenue, approaching the intersection of South Nova Road. The ambulance entered the intersection without slowing to be sure the intersection was uh, free of traffic. Uh, the claimant was traveling on the intersecting roadway with a green light and struck the passenger side of the ambulance. Uh, it's estimated the claimant's vehicle was going only 15 miles an hour in a 30-mile-per-hour zone, and the speed of the uh, ambulance was 50 miles per hour in a 50-mile-per-hour zone. Uh, there was another vehicle traveling in the opposite direction um, from the claimant that was able to stop and avoid the collision. Um, there is an intersection camera video, uh, which shows the impact to be a side-swipe-type uh, impact, um, confirming that the city vehicle never slowed prior to entering the intersection and that the claimant vehicle was traveling at a slow speed. Um, the claimant did not report any injuries on the scene. It did not receive any medical treatment until about six weeks after the accident, uh, incurring approximately 21381 in medical expenses. Uh, sadly, uh, the claimant, Mr. Reyes, passed away um, in early 2023 due to unrelated uh, issues um, from the accident. Um, so the state has made a demand of uh, $250,000. Your insurance company would like uh, authority to make a settlement offer of uh, $25,000 to resolve this claim. Um, and I can try to answer any questions that you may have. Anybody have any questions? <clears throat> what, is the what does the insurance policy cover? The coverage limit is $1 million. <clears throat> um, this is a sovereign immunity claim. So the cap on this would be $200,000. Um, so insurance is going to cover the claim? Yes. Okay. And it, is the adjuster, is the insurance company recommending that? Yes, they are. Yeah. And they ask for your authority to make the offer. Okay. I think it's a good offer. <clears throat> what did he say? The mayor said he thinks it's a, a good settlement proposal. Twenty-five. Yes. Anybody else have any questions? All right. Do we need a motion? I need a motion to. I don't have that number before me. Settle the. I make a motion to um, uh, provide direction regarding the settlement related to a motor vehicle accident that occurred on May 28, 2022. Uh, the settlement of, or um, proposed settlement of 25000 Yes, offer 25000 Yep. Second. Roll call. Mayor DePue. Yes. Councilwoman Gillis? Yes. Vice Mayor Bennington? Yes. Councilwoman Dalbo? Yes. Councilman Powers? Yes. Okay. Officer reports. City Clerk. Thank you. Um, the only thing I have, we did receive an email today. Um, I believe each of you did receive it from Karen Allen from the Volusia League of Cities. They're doing um, the ethics training 
in person on Friday, March 8th. Um, so just let me know if you want to attend and I will register. Where is it going to be? It's at the Gold. Daytona State College Auditorium in Daytona. Is that like the ethics training we already had? Or yeah, you have to do it yearly. Okay. Okay. And it's anymore. the same guy who gave the last one that we went to? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. It's Friday, March 8th. You should have received an email this morning from okay. Karen Allen regarding it, so you can let me know. Okay. You, don't, you don't have to let me know right now. I just wanted to bring that to everyone's attention, and that's all I have. Okay, City Attorney? Uh, nothing at this time. Well, after reading all that, I yeah. those numbers. <laughs> wow. Gwen, uh, City Manager? Yeah, I've got a couple of things. Uh, one of them is quite lengthy. We need to select an auditor because of the contract auditors we have now, the contract's up, so it has to be rebid. Uh, Florida State Statute 218.391 establishes procedures required to select auditors. For the most part, the required process follows our existing policies and procedures for an RFP. The major difference is the makeup of the selection committee. It must contain a minimum of three members. One member must also be a member of the governing body who is to serve as the chair, so it's one of you. The committee will establish factors to use for evaluation of proposed proposals received. Factors shall include the ability of personnel, experience, and ability to furnish required services. Compensation can be considered, but cannot be the sole or predominant factor used for evaluation. It must publicly announce a request for proposals, including information on how interested firms may apply for consideration. <coughs> It must provide the evaluation criteria, evaluation proposals received using the established factors. Rank and recommend at least three proposals deemed to be the most highly qualified in order of preference. Once the audit committee has made its recommendations according to the established procedures, the governing body is to select one of the firms to negotiate a written contract. The governing body may allow a designee to conduct contract negotiations on, on its behalf. What needs to be done tonight is determine which one of you will serve as chair on that committee. The finance directors of both Fort Orange and New Smyrna Beach have agreed to serve as Division 3. And Edgewater finance staff will be available to assist during the process as well. So we need a volunteer. Here. One more time. This is an this is a board for auditing for what what department? The entire city. It's the financial auditing, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, personally, Councilwoman Bennington, I believe, has the most experience on the council with over 15 years. Um, I I personally would feel more comfortable as she said there are more auditing periods than any of us to recommend her if she would be open to that. All right. I'll Debbie doesn't want to do it. I do. Decisions made. All right. Gigi has agreed to serve. Okay, wonderful. Maybe for you. <laughs> Could be a party. <laughs> and the second thing I've got is I would like to go through a formal process to find and contract with an architect to design the future city hall. Which is it's going to be what is called a CCNA, uh, which is a Contractors Competitive Negotiation Act under Florida statute. It's 
because of the overall cost of the project itself. So what do you need from us right now? Just to say, yeah, do it. Sure. Do it. Do it. I don't. I don't That's want it hitting, I don't want it hitting the street. And y'all not know anything about it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That's it. Great. That's okay. Citizens' comments. Does anybody have anything that they want to say? Hi, I'm Rick Bailey at 737 Navigators Way in Edgewater Landing. I wanted to just bring up the uh, fact that there was a fatal accident at Homeport Terrace in Ridgewood a few days ago. And I know it's an ongoing issue. Highway 1 has high-speed traffic, and Edgewater Landing has retired folks like myself. Um, I was just asking if the city would uh, be willing to look at the safety of that intersection to see if any anything could be done, <coughs> lighting or signage or anything to improve the safety. Thank you. We can look at that, right? We're actually trying to hand it to DOT. It's their jurisdiction, their road. Oh, okay. um, but we agree with what he said. Hi, Pat Grotzer. I live at 2005 South Riverside. Uh, the speed is horrendous on there. <laughs> They're probably on going Riverside, you mean? Yeah. Yes, it is. And, and and it's like, does somebody have to die before they put some stop signs or some speed bumps or something? Um, I walked a dog on the sidewalk, and even she barked because she's afraid of how fast these cars are going. And and like you said, Route 1, they're going fast. Well, they're coming over and going just as fast on this more residential neighborhood so they're going over 50 sometimes because i walk my dog there well yeah i mean the dog barks he's afraid hello and if my leash ever broke my dog would be dead yeah or if somebody tries to cross the street they're going to be dead so how do we slow people down i mean there's no <coughs> speed limit during from indian river to the no there's no so people can do what they want and Who's going to die first? Hopefully nobody that way. No, but who's going to, how do we get it, them to slow down? Are they going to put stop signs? Are they going to put speed bumps, what, turn around? What are they going to do to do anything about it? Well, police have stepped up. Uh, radar, <clears throat> they're running radar quite frequently on Riverside, a different location. On the corner of Riverside where the mobile home park is, there's a police sitting there all day long stopping cars that didn't do a complete stop. Well, nobody's dying on that corner and, and in danger, but they sh he should have been on the street do checking the speed of people. So I, I what do you have to do to get, how are we going to do this? Are you just going to listen and nothing's going to happen? Well, we'll see what we can do. We've got the police chief here and the city manager here. We'll okay, yeah. I, I don't want it to be my dog or me getting killed that. because somebody's going too fast. I understand that. Thank you. Donna McDavid, 1201 Bond Street. I'd like to speak tonight about the five core values of public service. The civil servant's values should be honesty, integrity, impartiality, and objectivity. 
These values should be at the heart of everything you do, and they align with the three high-level leadership behaviors that every civil servant needs to model, which is to set direction, engage people, and deliver results. Elected city council members represent the community. They establish policies that affect the overall operation of the community and are responsive to the residents' needs and wishes. Councils should provide strong and effective representation, leadership, planning, and decision-making. Councils should carry out functions in a way that provides the best possible value for the residents and taxpayers. They should listen to, serve, and include all who live, work, and play here, seeking ways to foster unity and create stronger connections across Edgewater. They should respond and take actions so that every person has the opportunity to thrive in Edgewater. Residents guide their community through public comments at open meetings, serving on boards and commissions, and participating in visioning and strategic planning. As a reminder to all who sit on the dais, you work for us, the residents. As of late, there has been admission on record that some of you are in violation of standing city ordinances, as well as a lot of personal opinions spewing from the dais. This is very concerning when you have not given the residents a chance to speak and voice their needs and wishes on other issues. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else want to say anything? Okay. Meeting is adjourned. Thank you. <clears throat>